will either be a hammer to crush us, or your word will be that which builds us. May you minister to us, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in that book of Galatians, and chapter 5 and verse 22, and we've talked about love. You can't begin to minister until you love people. You have to love people right where they are. Oftentimes we hear people saying, well, I got to get better before I can really walk with the Lord. I got to improve this before I can walk with the Lord. You can't do anything in and of yourself to prepare yourself to walk with the Lord. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. You can't do anything to cause God to stop loving you. And you can't do anything to cause God to love you more. He loves you. He loves you. Sad part about it is that oftentimes people don't really recognize how much God loves them. So in Galatians chapter 5, 26 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. We, we, we've looked at these. And today we're going to explore the word kindness. Kindness and goodness are, are just about the same word there. And gentleness could be thrown in there, but we're going to have, use gentleness next week. But kindness and goodness is very close. If you're going to minister to people and serve people and wait on people, you have to be able to love them you have to be willing to be patient with them. You've got to find the joy of the ministry in that. You are the one that has to do. And you have to discover how great ministry really is. But that happens as you yield to the Spirit of God. You have to yield to the Spirit of God because he's not going to force this character upon you. Love itself is an action. Patience is an action. Joy is an action. Kindness is an action. But he's not going to force it. You have to yield to him that he might manifest his character through you as you minister to others. You have to yield to him. Now I want you to understand something about our world today. Our world is not used to genuine love. Our world is not really used to people being patient because we're all short and we're ready to snap how quick. Right now. We don't want to find joy, per se. So you hear people always talking about happiness, where happiness is something that happens momentarily, where joy is something that is within and that God gives that's with you all the time. Kindness is something people have to yet learn to do. 
Because kindness is extending themselves. It's extending oneself. And oftentimes, we're not willing to extend. We're not willing to go that extra mile. We're not willing to do what is necessary. And in kindness, what we don't realize, we really do show the love of God. Can I get you going here now? There we go. What we do out of habit and out of our basic nature, we just look at people. Period. What you're looking at is not the real person, however. The real person is the soul, is the one that's housed in this, what we look at. And what takes place oftentimes, we're looking, as God says in 1 Samuel there, we're looking at the what? Outer appearance. That's all that we're looking at. And when we're looking at the outer appearance, we're trying to sum up a person by what we're seeing. Now understand something in in ministry. People are hurting. And when people hurt, and people who have been hurt, they learn how to deceive and protect themselves. For that the real thing won't come out. And sometimes we hide it so deeply inside, especially when it comes to siblings and, and parents, we'll hide it so deeply on the inside that we'll make up an imaginary parent and lie and talk about how good they were, in reality they were not. I will talk about how good my alcoholic father is rather than understanding an alcoholic brings all kind of stuff into a house. A father who's on drugs brings all kind of stuff into the house. A father who is abusive brings all kind of mess into the house. Which brings in a lot of scars on the inside that we try to cover up. So what we're looking at quite often with people sometimes is just top surface. We're looking up there and we're looking at the outer person and we're not looking underneath. And the reason you need the character of the Holy Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit activated in your life in order that you might be able to gently deal with another individual's with these hurts and scars, and let me share some with you. We all have them. Nobody's immune from them. We're all in the thing called life. And Job said, a man born of a woman will have what? Trouble all his life. And because you have troubles, you have scars. How many of you can go in your body somewhere and find a little scar or remember where you fell and you scratch yourself and it's there? And it's still there to today. This one finger right here, it's a little bigger than all the others because I, I dropped a, a large block on it. 
and they split my finger, and they put stitches in it right here, but it's wider than all the others. What we don't look for is the abuse that has happened in somebody's life. And men, we got to be very cautious with that. I know today we want to be a huggy-huggy world. Everybody don't want to hug. Because when you get ready to hug, it causes flashbacks of something else. And what we have to learn to simply ask, may I hug you? Is it all right if I hug you? No. And you get the permission, then do so. But just don't sometimes run up and be ready. Ask for the permission. Because you don't know the abuse that a person may have gone through. You don't know the hurt that somebody's gone through. You know, We want to show them love, yes. But we show that person love by first getting permission to hug or to deal with. And that's just being kind to a person. We have the family issues. Children are dealing with all kinds of family issues. Especially if they're going through divorce. Their hearts, they don't know who to support. They don't know whose side to be on. They hurt because some, they know something's happened, but they can't explain it. It's bothering them, but they don't know how to voice it. And it's something that is with them most of their lives. I was just in a conference and it surprised me how many young men brought up divorce or their mother being abused by their father and couldn't do nothing while they just sat there and watched. And the pain, that scar is still there. Pain is still there. And we go through all these lists and there's a lot more than that. The only reason a child gets involved in a gang because they're not in the gang at home. They're not in the game at home. Now, we need to go just a little step And we need to ask something sometime when we're dealing with people. What is hidden? You don't ask them that. You begin to watch their behavior. Watch their action. Watch their committedness. Watch what they're trying to achieve. Watch what their goals are. You want to study the person. Because the end result is this. You want to be able, if you're going to be involved in that person's life, you want to be effective, and you want to be able to produce the best product for God. And you need to understand something. When you are interacting with other people, they're also helping you. And and they may not know that. And oftentimes they don't. But when people allow you to minister to them, God also winds up ministering to you also as you minister to them. So you need to ask, what's hidden? What's hidden? It's easy to say they made their bed so they're going to sleep in it. They sown that seed so they get what they've sown. But that doesn't bring healing. That doesn't cause a person to grow and mature. 
And what we're after is seeing a person grow and mature that they can be successful in whatever they start off into. Understand this now. Boy, if I can get there. We don't fight with God about forgiveness or healing. You, you ever recognize that? When people want God to forgive them, they don't fight with God about receiving his forgiveness. They'll even tell you, God's forgiven me. And when they need a healing, they won't argue with God about healing them. They're sick. They want help. And they'll tell God healed me. God did this. Where we fight with God at is in the transformation of our lives. Because, see, I don't really want to be what God wants me to be. I want to be what I want to be. And that's where the real battle goes on. Because, see, the Lord said, if any man's in Christ, he's going to be what? A new creation. And that's where the real battle takes place. And that's why you got to be willing to suffer along with people. you got to love them through it. you got to be gentle with them. you got to be patient with them. Because they got their own inward what? Battle going on. And sometimes they'll put you to the test to see, will you still be there? And we fight with God about transforming our lives. Thing about the transforming of the life is this. I don't know what I'm becoming, and that's frightening. That's frightening. But that's where we fight with God at. We don't fight with Him about His forgiveness. We don't fight with Him about His healing us. Where we fight with Him at is on the changing of our lives. Galatians 5.22, kindness and goodness is being beneficial for others. That's ministry. I hear people say a lot of times, I just want to be a blessing to others. I want to be a blessing to others. Well, what does that mean, being a blessing to others? Are you willing to take some pain? Are you willing to take a hit for another person? Are you willing to uh, step down into some mud for another person? Are you willing to get a little dirty for another person? Hey. What does it mean to be a blessing to another person? Because sometimes we'll tell the person, you got to come up here, but I'm not coming down there. Now, I want you to look at this. God came where? Into the cesspool to rescue me. And sometimes we got to step down into the cesspool to help somebody else come up. And that's what kindness does. That's what kindness does. It's responding to love. If you tell somebody you love them, but you're not patient with them, and you're not kind to them, and you're not gentle to them, and you don't want the best for them, you don't really love them. You're just using the word. Now, understand out of that kindness 
you're producing a benefit for that person that allows them to have an advantage and favor for others. You're going to give them an advantage and you're going to give them favor. That's what they're going to benefit from you. And you're going to help them along the way. That's your kindness. And you need to understand, that kindness produces a benefit that you're going to give away to others. It's not an issue, are they worthy of it? Why? Because I was not worthy of God's love, his patience, his goodness and kindness towards me. I wasn't worthy of it. So I removed the worthiness of a person, whether they're worthy to receive it or not, I have to remove that out of the way. And the character of the spirit that he's trying to build in me is going to allow me to love that person. It's not an issue, do they deserve my love? Are they worthy of my love? They're just going to give it. And they're going to receive my kindness. Not because they're worthy of it. Because the character of the Spirit that just gives it. And again, we talked a little bit about I just want to be a blessing. When you're a blessing to others, you're going to give them the benefits of advantage and favor. You're going to give them whatever is needed, per se, for them to help build themselves. The beneficiary is the person receiving your acts of kindness. They benefit from your kindness. They benefit from your love. They benefit from your peace. They benefit from your patience. They benefit from you being in their presence in their life. Now understand something, and this is critical here. Because we don't see ourselves this way. In reality, you are either a curse or a blessing to people. There's no middle ground. Either you are building people or you're tearing people down, one or the other. Either you're loving people or you're hating people. There's no middle ground. And surprisingly, with Christians, we try to find this middle ground. Because I don't think you're worthy to be trusted and really loved and built up yet. Well, what do I have to do in order to be built up? How is it that I get into your good graces? How do I get your favor? How do I get from you and be able to glean from you? See, if I had to do something for God to love me, he would have never loved me. If I had to do something to win his favor, to win his blessing. I would have never received not one blessing. We are either benefiting other people, blessing them, or we're cursing and taking from them. Kindness, kindness is the act of contributing to the improvement of a person's life or condition. Kindness is an act 
a decisive act to improve or contribute to a person's life, to improve that person's life or condition. Kindness. Now understand this, when you're being kind to a person, you may not receive anything. And that bothers us as human beings. Because anything we do, we always want to get a what? Get something out of it. What's in it for me? When you're being kind to somebody else, it may not be nothing in it for you because you may not even get a thank you. But that should not stop you from being kind because of the Holy Spirit that is in you. God can always make life better. Now, understand this as Christians. Because sometimes Christians get stuck in this area. I'm not here to make life better. I'm here to save souls. No. You're here to make life better. And along the way, if you have that opportunity to lead somebody to Christ, that's the icing on the cake. That's the icing on the cake. Let me share something with you. A lot of people know when you're just out trying to change their life or you're just trying to get them saved, but you really don't care nothing about them. (laughs) And therefore, a lot of people get saved, but life don't improve. Because oftentimes for life to improve, somebody got to spend some time with them. Go to 1 Timothy, chapter 6, 17. God can always make life better. Because oftentimes we think, boy, we have enough money. I got it made. I don't need nothing else. But I want you to catch what the Lord's going to say in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Because money is not a cure-all. He says... Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Who, what? Provides us with everything for enjoyment. Now, picture this with with me for a moment. If God was not interested in making life better for everyone, but only the Christian, that Christian farmer would receive all the rain, all the good soil, all the sunshine, everything he needs. But that sinful man would not receive the rain, would not receive the sunshine. But remember what Scripture says? God allows it to rain on the just and the unjust. Why? He benefits both. Why? Because of life that he has given. Hopefully, both will recognize where that blessing is coming from. That's what's important, that both of them recognize the rain is a blessing from the Lord. The good soil is a blessing from the Lord. The sunshine is a blessing from the Lord. But he allows it to happen to both. 
And as Christians, we're here to improve life. Not just for ourselves, but for everyone. So as my cup runneth over, it's not just for me, it should be for who? Everyone around in my little environment that my cup runneth over can bless. And he says, remind them who are rich that wealth don't provide everything. But he says, I have the ability to provide you with everything for our enjoyment. Just because you're rich don't mean you're enjoying life. That you're enjoying everything. But God says, I'm able to cause you to enjoy everything. Let's go a little further. He says, command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds. Not just in their wealth. But in their action. And what they do. And he says, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life. Now catch this. They're already living. But he says that they might take hold of life that is truly what? Life. That they may take hold of the real life. Oh, they're, they're, they're alive and they're living and those are folks, oftentimes we call, they just survive. Right, right. They're not really living life yet. They just make them do. They're not living life yet. Every part of life for them is a struggle. Yeah. Let me share something. God meant for us to struggle, but not like Satan means for us to struggle. And Jesus said that he came that we may have life and have it how? Abundantly. That doesn't mean you're not going to work for it. But you're going to have an abundant life. A fulfilled life. And that's what he says about these. They're rich. They're living. But they're really not living. And he said that they might live a true life. Not just life, but the true life. The life that he's planned for them. And in John 10, 10, he says, For I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Turn with me to Psalms 25, 8. Catch what the Lord is going to say here. Because it helps us to determine who we're going to be kind to. And we need to understand that we are to be kind to all people, not just some people. We're to be kind to black people, white people, yellow people, green people, African people, Spanish people, Muslim people. It don't matter. God gave them life. And we are to be kind towards all people. Look at verse 8 with me. Let me get there. Good and upright is the Lord. Now first he explains us about the character of God. He's what? He's good and he's upright. So he's showing us his character. What are we to be? Good and upright. And, and then look what he says. 
Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. He instructs them. They're not saved yet. He's instructing them. He, he wants to teach them. Understand something. You can live no higher of a plane than what you really understand God's word. The more understanding that you allow the Holy Spirit to teach you and give you wisdom from God's word, the less you have to live on and yet the better you live. The better you live. Satan says if you want to live good, get out here and get all the money you can get. Satan said, boy, if you want to live good, it don't matter who you stump on, who you kick, who you disrespect, who you lie on, who you steal it from. Because the only person that count is... And God says, boy, therefore he instructs sinners in his way. Now, now come down to verse 12. I think God makes a difference here right now. Because he doesn't use the word sinner. Catch that. Sometime when you're reading, see what God leaves out, see what God put in before. In verse 12 he says, Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the ways, now, now catch the end phrase here, chosen for him. The other one, God is just instructing. Why? The instructions first is going to lead you to him. The instructions in first is going to bring you knowledge about him. For what reason? That you might come to a saving knowledge of him. And then the second instruction, God said, Now I'm going to show you your real purpose why I gave you life. I'm going to show you why you're living. I'm going to show you why I called you to myself. Why I chose you. Here's your chosen path. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to work at. This is where I want you to go. And he does all of that out of his kindness or his goodness. Now, in Luke 6, remember we were just talking about if you're really worthy of it or not? Go, go to Luke 6 and verse 35. He starts off, he says, But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Wait, wait a minute, Lord. We got to talk about this. This is my enemy you're talking about. I don't want to even give my enemy a cold drink of water. I don't want to give my enemy a nickel. This is the fool that talked about me. This is the fool that said I wasn't this. This is the fool that cussed me out when I was trying to help him. This is the fool that stole from me. This is, and you're talking about now, men to him? And I'm not supposed to expect anything back. 
Lord, that's hard. Some places it says in the scripture that the teaching was so hard that some of the disciples did what? They walked away. Lord, it's hard. Stay with me now and look what he says. As even expecting to get anything back, then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Your reward will be great. You ever hear, I got a couple of men tell me, Lord, I, I want a little bit, especially when I'm asking them to do something, I, I want a little pain now. I want a little something now. And I, and I always joke with you're building up a treasure in heaven. I want something now. Isn't that all of us? We want it when? Now. If I'm going to work, if I'm going to do something for you, I want it now. Stay in here with me. Look what he says. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. He is kind to who? What does it mean to be ungrateful? If you're going to minister to people, you need to understand, you're going to minister to a lot of people who are going to be ungrateful, unappreciative for anything you do for them. But that shouldn't stop you from ministering. Why? Because the character of the Holy Spirit wants to minister to those people in order that they might see the grace of God. And if you don't minister with the fruit of the Spirit or the character of the Spirit, they're not going to see the grace of God that reveals the kindness of God through your actions. And that has to happen. Because people... Always have it in their mind. You're doing something for them for you can get something. And you have to be able to do it and just do it out of your heart as ministry because you love them, you see them lacking. You want to see them get ahead. You want to see them be successful. You want to see them move up the ladder. You want to see them do better than what you're doing. And therefore, the gift of that Spirit is the character of the Spirit that you might minister to people. He goes on <clears throat> in Romans 2, 4, it says, It's the kindness of God that leads a person. Now, now catch it. It does say it leads them to a point where they repent and they're being saved. But it leads them to what? Towards repentance. Towards it. Because to accept the Lord Jesus Christ is something you have to desire to do, want to do. It's a commitment you have to make from your own heart. Now understand this. God will show you all his love, all his kindness, 
God will work with you, but God will not force you to accept him. To accept him. A man can woo a woman, buy the candy, buy the roses, take her to dinner. He cannot force her to marry her or to love her. A woman can chase after a man, cook him the best dinner, clean, do everything. She can go overboard. But that doesn't mean that man will love her. Or even really want her. And he says in Romans 2, kindness God's kindness leads us towards repentance. But we're the ones who got to come to the place and say, Lord, forgive me. In Ephesians 2.7, let's go to it because we're going to camp there in Ephesians just for a moment. In Ephesians 2.7 says, God's grace is seen through his kindness in a sense. And that's why we must show forth this kindness because people catch God's grace in that act of our kindness. And if you're not willing to be kind, and remember, God was kind to you. And in that kindness, you saw God's grace. And grace really is God's unmerited favor. You don't deserve the kindness. You don't deserve whatever God's doing. But God's doing it out of his love. You know the very first fruit? Love? If it's not done out of love, to very begin with, genuine love, then everything else falls down. It's building blocks. It gotta be out of love. It gotta start with that. You really genuinely care for that person. Now, you may say, how can that happen? I don't even know that person. If you deal with fleshly love, you're right. You got to get to know the person. You got to spend the time with the person. You got to get to know this and that and all the other stuff, ins and outs of the person. But if it's a godly love, you love with a godly love based on what you're seeing. Remember Christ? How he said he would have loved to have taken Jerusalem and put it under its wing. Because of what he was seeing. You can see some hurt. You can see some pain. You can see disappointment. You can see failure. You can see unsuccessfulness. You can see the damage that's been done. You can see certain things. God allows you to see certain things. What he don't allow you to see sometimes is the causes of those things. You can see people's anger. But what's really causing that anger? What's driving that anger? You can see people's lack of being able to make good, sound decisions. And you can understand this part of it. Having been trained to make good, sound decisions. And the issue is that training part Especially for young men, because they're going to be heads of families. They have to make decisions, not just for themselves, but for their children and their wives. That they can put the facts together 
and really make sound decisions. Not about themselves, but about their family. And go to Ephesians 2 7 with me. You're there already, I imagine. Let, 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 let me get there. He says in 2 7, in order that the coming age he might show his incomparable riches of his grace. Now, I want you to catch on the word show. Show. God says he's going to show his grace. Now, how's he going to show it? His incomparable riches of grace expressed. What's going to be expressed? His grace is going to be expressed. How? In his kindness to us. Let me ask you something. Do you know when somebody's being kind to you? And somebody being mean to you? (laughs) They don't have to tell you they're being what? Mean. Their actions and what you're receiving from them says that person's mean. (laughs) But when they're kind, do they have to say, I'm being kind to you? But their actions automatically say they're being kind. And that's what God's grace. We couldn't see God's grace without his kindness, his acts of kindness in our lives being displayed. And because we see his acts of kindness, we understand it's his grace. Not that I deserve it, not that I'm worthy of it, but that God has chosen to just be kind to me in this moment in this situation. Catch it? Catch it? Because we got to treat people that way. We got to deal with people that way in ministry. Now, did I go too far too fast? I think I did. I think I did. No, maybe I didn't. We are instructed to put on kindness. We're instructed to put on love. Colossians and Ephesians are two books, sister books. They're very close. But in Colossians 3.12, it says, put on kindness. We think we're already kind. But understand this. In life, you don't have the right to choose who you're going to be kind to. When you choose who you're going to be kind to, it is not a Holy Spirit action, it is a fleshly action. Can, can you distinguish with me on that? In the flesh, you can choose whoever you want to be kind to. But the Holy Spirit's in charge. He's going to be kind to everybody that's around. That's just his nature. That's his behavior. And he says, put on kindness. Now what you and I have to allow the Holy Spirit to do is to clothe us 
in that. And in the other things that are mentioned also. The Holy Spirit has to clothe us because we can't do it. We can't generate it. We can't make it happen. Now, everything that I've said in the flesh you can do, the problem is, is limited. I love you as long as you listen to me. Now, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to have some evil thoughts about you. That's me choosing. Me loving you, even though you don't listen to me, says i got to have patience with you as you mature and grow. And as I am showing you patience, I'm going to find joy in our relationship. And in that relationship, nothing you're going to do that's going to disturb my peace. Because my peace is on the inside. Hopefully that will flow over to your life, to them. Now we're enjoying peace together with our Heavenly Father. But if you're troubled on the inside, and you're mad on the inside, and I have peace, I'm not going to allow your peace and your anger to mess with my peace. I won't allow that. The whole process is this here. If I yield to the Holy Spirit, He will work these characteristics out in out of my life, out into the atmosphere, out into the people that I'm dealing with. That for one purpose, that they might really see the grace of God at work. And you'll have people ask you, why do you like me? Why do you like me? I did this to you and I did that to you. Why do you like me? Well, Why are you trying to help me? I wouldn't help you. And that's when you know it's not you, it's who. We ought to practice it in-house. When Mama taught you manners... I hope Mama taught you manners. Did you learn them first in-house or did you learn them outside the house? You learn them in the house. You learn how to sit at a table. You learn how to use a fork and a knife. You learn certain things in-house for that when you go out-house, you will know... I better change that word. (laughs) But when you go outside... You know how to act. And you know what's expected of you. Look with me in the book of Ephesians for a moment. Look at verse 432. Ephesians 432. He says, Be kind 
and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. He's talking to the Ephesian church. Now understand something about this church. This church was a mixture of all type of ethnic groups. You can say Jews and Gentiles, but among the Gentiles, there may have been some Romans, some Greeks, some Phoenicians. There were different groups. And you have to understand something. These groups, by nature, were very hostile to one another. Very hostile to one another. They didn't care for each other. They didn't like each other. So where they're going to begin to learn how to love each other, where they're going to really learn how to be patient with each other, where they're going to really learn how to be kind to each other, first, right in the house. You have a lot of people tell you, I'm not going to church because them people are ugly. They'd rather go somewhere else other than where? Church. You go to church, you're going to be mean because you, you don't fit in my group. And I'll make sure you're going to stay out of my group. And don't you dare sit in my seat. And don't you dare try to outdress me. And the whole thing, he says, boy, be kind and compassionate towards one another. Be kind and compassionate. Go to 2.14. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. He says, for he himself is our peace. Who's our peace? He is. He is. He declares he's their peace. He's their peace. They're not trying to generate peace up among themselves. He is their peace if he's there in the midst of them. He's their peace. Go a little bit further. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two, what? One. We're all saved by one blood. The blood of Christ. We're in one family. The family of God. The body of Christ. And it's sad that the church doesn't see that. Though we say it, we don't see it, and oftentimes we don't practice it. And he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility. So among these groups, there was what? Hostility. There was warlike feelings. You get in my space, I'll knock you out. And they had these warlike feelings against each other. They were unfriendly towards each other. You ever see people be unfriendly towards people at church? Yeah, it happens. Why? Because God is teaching us how to be kind. If I can't be kind in here, I can't be friendly in here. I can't be loving in here in acceptance of all people who come into God's house. 
I can't do it out there. The biggest thing that's still in question is church. Can black and white worship together? Can this group and that group worship together? Yet we all call ourselves what? God's people. And even the unbeliever has learned to say it. The most segregated hour is when? Sunday morning. Because of the hostility that has taken place down through the ages between two groups. If a Muslim was to come in here, could he come in here and worship? Yes. Yeah. Now, let me say, share something with you. We want a gay person to come in here and worship. Not that we're going to approve his gay lifestyle, but that he might hear truth. Because the only thing that's going to change him or her is truth. But when they come in, are we going to shy back because they're lesbian, because they're gay, and we can't touch, and we can't hug, and we can't treat them? No, we ought to love them, be patient with them, hug them. Remember this, they're still a person. A person in whom Christ died for. And on that cross, he died for sinners. And their behavior is sinful, just like our behavior one time was what? And that's why in the book of Ephesians, he reminds us, you too once were. Go to Ephesians 4.3. Ephesians 4.3. Because he tears down that, house, that hostility that I might really be able to practice. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, make every effort. These people are struggling. The Holy Spirit, they are struggling just to keep unity. You know, the vision in the church is not of the Lord. Church is splitting. It's not really of the, of the Lord. It's of the flesh, and churches multiply that way. But that's not what the Lord really intended on huh? that we leave being hateful and angry and mad at each other. There's nothing wrong that a group of people in the church say, we feel God wants us to go over here and plant a church. Can we stop praying on that? That's a whole different attitude than somebody getting mad and angry. I'm leaving you heathens. You unsanctified folks, ungodly folks. That's a whole different attitude. And he says, boy, you got to practice in-house, keeping a unity in the peace of the unity. He said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort. Now, let, let me share something. It's not easy to love one another. And in reality, you know it. You know the person you struggle with in this congregation. You know the person you don't want to sit down and really break bread with. 
You know the person that you have a question mark about. Let me suggest something to you. Start praying for that person. And see if God changes your heart. 427. He comes right back and he says in 427. Again. Let me get there. Do not. And do not give the devil a foothold. Paul's recognizing, boy, Satan has been tearing this church up. Satan been beating this church to death. And he said, don't even give Satan what? A foothold. Don't even give it. Let's hear at the end here. If you are going to minister, or even be as we say, I'm a servant of God, and you're going to minister God's saving grace, if you're not going to be a servant of his, you must be kind. If you're going to be a servant of his, you have to be kind to all people. You have to love all people. You've got to be patient with people. And you've got to have a peace in your life that is not gauged by people. Last verse, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 6. Four through six. Listen to what Paul says, and listen to what Paul goes through. You know, if you really want to see people who are servants of God, the question you want to ask in their life is this: How much are they willing to sacrifice? How much are they willing to sacrifice? How much are they willing to go through to see another person really saved? See, we don't save people usually out of our comfort zone. We save people when we dive into our areas of uncomfort. Verse 4. Rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distress. Verse 5. In beatings, imprisonments, and riots, and hard work, and sleepless nights, and hunger. Once you see what this servant's going through. Verse 6. Yet in purity, yet in understanding, yet in patience. Going through all this and being patient. And catch the next word. And kindness. Now, how are you going to be kind to people who trouble you? People who get on your very last And God says, be kind to them. People, when you see them coming this way, you want to take off. I, I was telling a person the other day, you know, they're telling me what happened to between them and their neighbor. And every time the neighbor's out or she's out, she go, she turns the other way. Won't even look at them. I said, you know, it's not going to hurt you to say hi. You don't have to hold a long conversation. 
But least say what? Hello? Hi? Least acknowledge. And I said, even if you don't want to do that, there's an expression that speaks very loudly. Just a smile. That's all. Just lean over and just smile at them. Don't say a word. Isn't it different when you lean at people and you just smile at them? Then? Just a smile. That's all you got to do sometimes. And God has given us ways to break the ice, to break the wall down, that we can minister to them the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, yeah, I was troubled, I was beaten. How do you be kind to people who beat you? How do you be kind to people who cause you hardship? How do you be kind to people who imprisoned you? How do you be kind to people who calls you sleepless night with the jukebox playing so loud? And yet he says, be kind to him. Be kind to him. It's challenging, isn't it? But you can do it if you allow the Spirit of God to work the work he wants to work through your life. He has to work in you, and once he's worked in you, then he'll work through you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, for the fruit of the Spirit, for the character of the Spirit that you're developing in us. And Lord, we want to yield to him. We don't want to fight him. We don't want to quench what he's doing in our lives. But Lord, we want to surrender to the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit might truly show the real kindness of God and people might know the real grace of God. And that that kindness, Lord, may lead them to repentance. May cause them to at least think about the God who loves them. The least consider, why am I being treated so nicely right now? It's all because of God. Why are these opportunities coming my way? Only because of God. And that, Lord, we all understand there's not one in this room that is worthy of your blessing. It's just that you choose to either bless us or don't bless us. You choose to give or, or to take. You choose to either set us up or to take us down. You are still the sovereign God in charge. And we are the clay and you are the potter. And you're going to fashion us, O oh God, to be what you desire us to be.